Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Please check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. Part chapter 1. Beginning in verse 18, and the word of the Sovereign Lord reads this way. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be the child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This is the word of the Lord. The late R.C. Sproul once wrote, What we celebrate at Christmas is not so much the birth of a baby, but the incarnation of God himself. I I can admit it. I think Christmas gifts and buying Christmas gifts can be a tough job, especially if you have older kids. And I think a lot of you can identify with that. I mean, when you have little kids, it's pretty easy. Kids are pretty easily entertained. You know, you can get them a toy, and there's bazillions of toys out there, and I think it's hard to toy like a box, right? Um, or you get them clothes because every little kid needs, you know, new clothes. They wear out of them fast, or they grow out of them quickly. But older kids, it gets harder, right? Um, because they don't want toys anymore. At least not the ones that you can afford to get them. Right? And, uh, and and they want gadgets, and they want technology, and they want gaming systems, and they want things that have motors on them that require, you know, you know, maintenance. And it seems like everything that they want is really expensive. And and, and then if you opt for the cheaper route, try to buy them clothes, you're not even really sure they're going to like what you get them. I mean, I don't even buy my own clothes, right? I'm not even good at that. So, I mean, much less buy clothes for my kids. Well, this year, my wife had a brilliant idea. She decided, you know, we're going to do things a little differently. Um, what we were going to do is we're just going to uh, get season tickets to Knott's Berry Farm. Which is perfect for us, right? Because that gives us an opportunity at different intervals during the year, take some time, get along with our kids, and just get out of town and have some fun. And and, and, and the reality is we really love Knott's Berry Farm anyway, because they have really great roller coasters. Like, you know, everybody loves uh, Ghost Rider, you know, and Silver Bullet, and and Montezuma's Revenge, except my wife. She just will not do that one. <laughs> but, but they have a lot of great rides. And, and, and when you go to Nosbury Farm, usually you get to do a lot of riding. Because it's not like it's just overcrowded like some other theme park down the road. You know, maybe Disneyland, right? <laughs> I mean, every time I've ever gone to Disneyland, it's so crowded. It takes forever to get on anything. You're bumping into people everywhere you go. And, and don't get me wrong, Disneyland is great. I think everybody should experience it at least one time. But I have no plans or no intentions at all to ever go back there on my own unless it's to take our grandkids. And even then I'll be begging them, let's go to Knott's Berry Farm. <laughs> <laughs> right? right? Because Knott's Berry Farm, you have a lot of fun, right? With a lot fewer people and a lot less aggravation and really a lot less money too. Because Disneyland is just like expensive, right? So... And so, and not to mention that, Knott's has a lot of fun things to do as well, right? They have, you know, you can go outside you know, the, the park and actually eat good food. But, the, but there's also other things like carnival rides and they have the shops and they have really cool shows to watch. 
And, and so I think for us and our kids, um, my wife made the right choice. Not very far season passes is, is the perfect gift this time of year for us. Um, but do you know what else Not Fairy Farm has? It has that, you know, like other amusement parks, um, it has that person who draws those, those funny pictures of people. You know what I'm talking about, right? Mm-hmm. right? When you go to sit down and they draw this black and white picture of your face and your head, and it's usually with a big head with a little body, right? Maybe they might color it in a little bit. Maybe they might like draw you doing something like playing golf or, you know, or playing football or something. Um, and, you know, it's, you know, when you get this little picture, it's, it's not really a photo of you to speak, but, but you can certainly tell it's you. You know what I'm talking about, right? It's, what do they call that? It's a, a caricature. That's right. It's a caricature of you. It's, it's the cartoon version of you. And when you look at it, you can see, right, that it's you. You can, you can tell. Like, it's, it's, but it doesn't look completely like you. And, and the reason for that is that a caricature, an artist, what they do is they, they know how to accentuate your prominent facial features. It's like when you look and see the caricature of Jay Leno, they always focus on what? That big old chin, right? Yes. Or how about Albert Einstein? It's the big hair and the nose and the mustache. You recognize immediately that's who he is. These artists accentuate certain dominant facial features in order to, to resemble a person. In fact, they exaggerate these dominant facial features uh, to, make, to make them stand even more, like this Conan O'Brien. You can tell that's him, right? Even though he didn't really look exactly like that, you can tell it's him. And so when you look at a picture like this of yourself, you can see that it's you. You can see the dominant features that, that make you who you are, right? There's a resemblance there, right? But as good as these artists may be, a picture like this doesn't fully represent you, right? Though they may accentuate some of your dominant features, there are some important details in, in what you look like that are just simply missing. It resembles you, but it's not a fully accurate representation of you. It's not photorealistic. It's a caricature. I mention this because I think that the same kind of thing happens to the idea of Christmas. To the picture that we have of what we think Christmas is. Christmas in many respects, for many people, is really a caricature of what it's supposed to be and not a full portrait of what it really is. Many people really highlight and embellish certain key features of Christmas um, and, and what they know about it and what it's supposed to be about, and they kind of ignore and overlook the rest of the details. And we see this all the time around us. For most people in the world, Christmas has become about Gifts, giving gifts, receiving gifts, carrying gifts, Amazon shipping gifts, shopping lists, shopping malls, credit card statements, overdue credit card statements, (laughs) wrapping presents, regifting those little bags that you got last year that you saved all the way to this Christmas so you can use them again, right? It's about decorating the tree, whether it's real or fake, or putting up lights. If you haven't done that already, I'm doing that tomorrow. (laughs) It's about snowmen, you know, ornaments, right? And for us, it's about spending time with family. It's about hanging out and having a good time and having good food and eating better desserts. Some of y'all, you know, know how to cook really, really well. Thank you, praise the Lord, for that. 
It's about showing, you know, slowing down, reflecting on the joy of the season and thinking about what's important. It's about generosity. It's about that nebulous feeling called Christmas spirit that every Christmas show on Hallmark Channel is talking about. And though most of those things are really, really good, for most people, that is about as close to Christmas and what it really is as it gets. That's their picture. That's, that's as close to an actual portrait as it gets. That it's all about material things. That there's no real emphasis on Christ and why he came, except the occasional reference of him that they, they, they mention in the Christmas carols that they're singing. And the rest of the world, it's a distorted caricature of what Christmas is, is like. In fact, barely recognizable. And it, and it might, right, in a sense, look like Christmas to them. But really, it's a poor representation of what it's supposed to be. Because Christmas is not even close to being about stuff. Christmas is about Christ. And those of us who follow him, we instinctively understand and know that. But please understand, even we as Christians, we who follow Jesus tend to have our own caricature of what we think Christmas is about. We actually do. We tend in our minds to create these images of what Christmas is about. We have these details that we think about that we simply just think about that come to our minds. And like a caricature artist, we tend to focus on the dominant aspects of the Christmas narrative that are found in Scripture, like the manger or the magi, not the wise men. It doesn't, the Bible never says wise men. It says magi. That was an embellishment. The shepherds, the star in the, in the sky, maybe even the angels. We tend to focus on the Virgin Mary and the long trek across the desert. You can even visualize that in your own mind. And then arriving to Bethlehem and no place is found for them at the end. We focus on the birth of this little baby boy that represents the hope of the world. And we take these details and we kind of, kind of sketch out and craft in our minds what we believe that Christmas is about. And some people will even have a few more details, like King Herod, you know, murdering the children of Bethlehem, trying to kill Jesus. Or how about uh, Simeon and Anna blessing Jesus when they, when they take the baby to, to the Jerusalem temple when he's just a newborn. And, and to be sure, all these details are important, and they're, and they're features that are, that are part of the Christmas story, but, but they tend to be the dominant features that, that we use in our imaginations to draw this kind of black and white caricature of what, what Christmas is about. Right? And does it look like Christmas? Well, yes. Do we recognize it as such? Yes, it's the Christmas story. But as with all caricatures, for what they show, there's always more that, that, that they don't show. And there's so much more to Christmas than even many Christians realize. And so this morning... My hope is to help kind of flesh out for you some of the finer details of what Christmas really is. My hope is to add some color and some texture, maybe some three-dimensional features to this, this image that we have in our, in our minds and our understanding. My hope is to expand your thinking about Christmas so that the picture of Christmas is more like a portrait rather than a caricature. And I think that the first place we begin is to ask the question, why did we celebrate Christmas in the first place? And I know that the answer might be obvious. It might even seem intuitive to most people. Right? But many people actually miss the reason why we celebrate Christmas in the first place. 
Because most people, including many Christians, believe that we celebrate Christmas because of the birth of Christ. They believe that we celebrate because the baby was born. And, and, and it makes sense, right? Because December 25th has become the traditional day that we celebrate the birth of Christ. People connect those dots and they say, well, well, you know, that, that we celebrate Christmas because Jesus was born. In fact, I even heard a pastor in, uh, addressing a crowd and he goes, Happy birthday, Jesus! Merry Christmas! As if Jesus really kind of cares about birthdays the way that we do, right? I don't know how many candles it would take, but it would be a lot. Um, and, and many people believe that we celebrate Christmas because of the birth of his baby, all the while, this is a true historical reality. A child was born in time and space. I want you to hear me. That's not why we celebrate Christmas. It's not. As R.C. Sproul said, what we celebrate at Christmas is not so much the birth of a baby, but the incarnation of God himself. I want you to to hear that. Christmas is about the incarnation of God himself. Himself. That is the central point of Christmas. That is why we celebrate. God became flesh. God became incarnate. As the Apostle John says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. It's not just that a baby was born. It's not just that a special baby was born. It was the fact that God eternal God took upon a human nature and became flesh and then entered into time and space to be with us. To walk amongst us. That is why we celebrate. God became one of us. He became flesh. That is the miracle of Christmas that we all talk about. Which then I believe should cause us to ask the next question. Why? Why would he even do that? Why would God, the the all-powerful, almighty, gracious God, take on a human nature and enter into the world as the weakest creature, a newborn baby, into a poor, impoverished family, into an oppressed culture, into an unknown, unimportant part of the world? Why in the world would he do that? Well, the answer for us is found in the scriptures, Matthew chapter 1. Beginning in verse 18, it reads, The birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they had come together, she was found to be with a child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That is my name. He came to save his people from their sins. That's why Jesus, God the Son, left glory behind, took upon himself the lowly human nature and entered into creation 
into the most humble of states. He did that to save his people from their sin. That is why he came. He didn't come to make sure that world hunger was ended. Yes. He didn't come so that there would be peace all over the world. Yes. He didn't come to give you all your heart's desire when it comes to material things. Look at our brothers and sisters in Pakistan. He didn't come to give you a pain-free, problem-free life. He didn't even come so that you feel better about yourself. He came to save his people from their sin. Which, by the way, is what Paul reiterates in his first letter to Timothy. Saying, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners, of whom I am foremost. He came into the world to do what? Save sinners. Jesus, eternally God, became incarnate and was born into the world for the purpose of saving sinners. That is why we celebrate. We don't simply celebrate because the baby was born. We celebrate because God himself came to the earth on a rescue mission to seek and save the lost. What incredible grace that is. That's why we celebrate. That's why the birth of Christ is so important to us. That's why this time this time of year is so special to us. That's why the entire world worships this unknown God as we talked about last week. There is something about the incarnation of Christ that draws all the world's attention to him. Even if they don't worship him the right way. Even if they don't know him. Right? All the world still stands in awe of the incarnation. And really without that, None of this Christmas holiday business makes any sense at all. The incarnation of Christ is the fuller picture of what Christmas is about. And yes, it is about the manger, right? It is about the angels. It is about the shepherds. It is about Bethlehem. But all of those details are simply irrelevant without the fact that God became flesh in order to save sinners. All of those details on their own are just a caricature of what Christmas is. And all those details simply is just a really heartwarming story about a baby being born against all of the odds. Something to make you go, oh, but not really a reason to worship and celebrate. And so this truth about the incarnation of God this, that, and his mission to save his people is what Christmas is all about. This is why we sing the songs. This is why we celebrate. But even that truth itself has implications that are worthy of looking at because, because there are implications of this that actually add more depth and more detail to our picture of what Christmas really is. And so this morning, I would just like to share with you six things, six implications of, of God becoming flesh that I think that I would like to share with you. And, and understand, there's a lot more than six, okay? Just so, just so you know, right? There's a lot more we can talk about. In fact, tonight we're going to talk about three more of them as we continue this conversation and as we celebrate uh, tonight. Um, but for the interest of time, I just want to narrow it down to six things that I think if you come to terms with and understand will help you grow in your understanding of why Christ came, what it means for us, and that would then move your heart even further to worship. And the first thing is the fact that Christ came, that Christmas is really about God's justice. Most people don't think of that when they think about Christmas. They don't think about justice. But that is the reason 
That, that right there is what Christmas is about. That is the reason why he came, to save sinners. It's because of justice. You see, the great, I want you to hear me on this. The greatest problem that we face as human beings, the greatest problem that you and I face right now as human beings, is the fact that God is good. Now you might think, well, wait a minute. Why does that, that problem, that God being good, that God is good, then no problem. It is a problem. You see, the reason why it's a problem is because God is holy, righteous, and just. And we are not. And so if God is good and holy, righteous, just, and just, what, what does he do then with us? Because we're not all good. In fact, we're the opposite of all good by our nature. Paul says we're, we were by nature children of wrath. Isaiah tells us that our very best efforts, the best that we can offer God, our righteousness is but rubbish before God, that it's trash in the sight of God. And it's not that our good deeds aren't good, it's just that we are sinners. It's our nature, right? And as a result, every part of what we do contaminates our, our, our lives, even the good that we do. We are, by nature, sinners. We are rebellion against God. You see, you're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. So what does a holy and righteous and just God do with the likes of us then? What is he supposed to do with those who rebel against his lordship? What is he supposed to do with those who profane his name? Well, I can tell you what he must do. I can tell you very clearly what he absolutely must do. He must see that justice is done. That's what he must do. Because his own nature demands that he does. Sin absolutely must be judged and punished. There's no getting around that. If, if God is good, then by nature he is just. And if he's just, then he has to judge sin. He cannot simply say, I forgive you and sweep your sin under the rug. He just, he cannot do that. Because if he did that, he's not just. Right? If God sweeps your sin under the rug, even you have no hope of justice at all. If God sweeps your sin under the rug, then you have no right to expect justice for anyone who harms you in any fashion. Because justice, if it's to be done to one, it's to be done to all. Otherwise, it's not justice. You understand that? Justice implies that it, it, that it, is, it is universal. And justice demands that transgressions and rebellion be punished. And the fact of the matter is you know it. And you even expect it. And, and when somebody wrongs you, you hope for it. And what that means for us then is our problem is that God is good and just. And because of that, the Bible promises he's going to punish the wicked. Which means that God owes you and me nothing more than his justice and his wrath. He owes us nothing more than that. You realize that, right? I mean, I hope you understand that. He owes you nothing, nothing, nothing more. That's why, that's why when we think about Christmas, it should be so special to you because God coming into the world to save the sinners is a mind-blowing act of grace and mercy and love that you have no business saying, I deserve. Because he owes you nothing but justice. And the truth is, if God were to give it to you right now, creation would, would sing with joy. 
If God said, I'm, I'm done, I'm punishing all of humanity, I'm sending them all to hell right now, he would be completely right and just to do so, and, and old creation would, would rejoice over our condemnation. It's what we deserve, it's what we should receive, but God, in his unfathomable love, in a love that you can't even like relate to, that's what unfathomable means, it means it's so deep that you can't even find the bottom of it. His unfathomable love, he wants to rescue us. By this grace, he wants to save us. By his mercy, he wants to spare us from the wrath of God. But again, there's still the problem. His justice demands our condemnation. So what then must he do? God then, the Father sends God the Son to the earth to take on a human nature like our own, to walk in our shoes, but then to live the life that we could not live, and he died on the cross, shedding his own blood to pay the penalty of your sin, so that God's justice would be completely satisfied, and his goodness and righteousness would be intact. But even more than that, if that weren't enough, because Christ not only paid the penalty of your sin, he lived a righteous life on your behalf that he credits to you. He gives you his righteousness, which means not only you're clean from the stain of your sin, but you are made perfectly righteous in the eyes of God. You are completely in right standing with God the Father because of what Christ has done on your behalf. And in light of that, God's justice is completely satisfied. He has punished sin, and he has at the same time spared us his wrath. As Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verse 26, this here is the conundrum, by the way. It was to show his righteousness that, that at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Through the work on the cross, God can both be just, but also the one who justifies us through faith. And so we celebrate Christmas because God's justice was done. And Jesus came into the world to justify us through faith in him. But, but Christmas is, is also about God's patience. It's another thing we don't think about at Christmas time is God is inordinately patient. The fact of the matter is God could have ended humanity in the garden, but he didn't do it. God could have wiped the entire human race off the map with the flood, but he didn't do it. He could have just allowed mankind to just fall into the fullest depravity that he's, that, of his potential and allow us to wipe ourselves off the map, but he didn't do it. Why? God is patient. God, unlike us, is not rash in his anger and his wrath. We become wrathful and angry. We become impatient. God is not like that. When you read through the, if you ever read through the history of, of Israel in in the Old Testament. I don't know about you, but how many times have you thought, how much longer is God going to put with these people? Mm-hmm. A thousand times God could have just wiped them out for his, their rebellion against him, but he didn't. Why? For the same exact reason God didn't kill you in your sleep last night, for the things that you thought and you did yesterday. <laughs> That's right. For the same reason. Because he's patient. Peter tells us the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. 
The reason why God's justice is not raining down on his on all of humanity, and the reason why his justice is not raining down on your head is because God is patient. And in his patience, he gives you an opportunity to come to him and repent and believe. He sent his son into the world to pay for your sins and give you a righteousness that's not your own, and eternal life where you can spend eternity in glory, and all you need to do is repent and believe the gospel. And as long as there is breath in your lungs, God is being patient with you. And so you have an opportunity to receive the gift of salvation to his patience. And let not that opportunity pass you by, as Paul says, or do you presume on the riches of the kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Christmas is a clear picture of the kindness of God, the inordinate kindness of God. It's a demonstration of God's patience toward you and humanity. And if you've not done so, then take the gift of, of his patience and repent and believe the gospel and be saved today. Today is the day of salvation. This is a perfect time of year. Repent and believe the gospel. So Christmas is about God's justice and his patience, but it's also about his sovereignty. You see, Christmas, the birth of Christ is the outworking of God's multifaceted, sovereign plan. A plan that he decreed in eternity past. The plan that was first promised to us in Genesis 3. When we look at that Genesis 3, I think it's verse 15 and not 16. God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The promise of God's redemption goes all the way back to the very beginning of the fall. Mankind fell into sin with Adam and incurred God's justice. But rather than allowing man to simply face all eternity with no hope whatsoever, he already had a plan. He already had a plan to redeem them. God provided hope, pointing forward to Christ thousands of years in advance. When he slain the animals to cover them up in their nakedness, that itself was a symbol of what God was doing. It was a symbol of the one to come. And the promise was that the devil would inflict injury upon the one to come. That's the crucifixion of Christ. That the Messiah would deal Satan the death blow. Jesus would crush the head of the serpent, which is the resurrection where Jesus demonstrates he has conquered both sin and death, and the devil has lost all his power. And Christmas is a celebration of that dawning day as God himself entered into creation to bring that hope to mankind, to bring to realization the promise that he had promised thousands of years before. And what you need to realize about that particular day, the day that Christ was born, it was clearly orchestrated by the sovereign hand of God. Because the details of that day were predicted in prophecy hundreds and even thousands of years before from the fact that he was going to be born of a virgin, to the tribe that he descended from, from the, from the line of David that he came from, to the appearance of the star, to the holocaust of Bethlehem, to them fleeing to Egypt. All of this is predicted in the Old Testament in great detail. 
God orchestrated the details of millions and millions and millions of individual lives who were all making millions and millions and millions of individual decisions. God sovereignly orchestrates trillions and trillions and trillions of tiniest little details, where people live, how they live, how they treat each other, how they end up, all the little various details from Adam all the way to Christ. God sovereignly drives history for thousands of years so that at the exact right moment, Jesus appears, just as he said. And if that right there is not enough for you to believe in God's sovereignty. And think about this. The almighty, immaterial God who created all of creation itself inserted himself into time and space and permanently took upon himself a human nature. And please understand the incarnation of Christ did not begin with his birth, as many people suppose. It actually began at conception. Notice what Matthew says. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from what? From the Holy Spirit. The moment the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, Christ's divine nature and human nature were forever connected, be it one cell or a clump of cells or a fetus or an embryo, whatever you want to call it. The God-man, Jesus Christ, was present in that moment, the moment of conception. That, by the way, is another of many reasons of why we are staunchly pro-life. Christ Jesus was fully God and fully man at the beginning of conception. Just as a human is a human at conception. I don't know if you realize that at conception, when, when the two cells come together and make one cell, that cell is now fully a fully unique human life. A human life that has its own a unique genetic imprint unlike any, anyone else in the entire world and nothing new is ever added to that cell except oxygen and nutrition. It's fully human in its nature. Life begins at conception and Christ's incarnation began at conception. And as pulled by the sovereign supernatural power of the triune God. Think about the power required for God to become flesh like one of us. For divinity to, come to, to, to take on humanity and be forever united in Christ. For God himself to reach down into creation to rescue us. Christmas points towards God's justice, his patience, his sovereignty. But it also points to freedom. I don't think people really think about that when they, when they see the Christmas tree. But it is the symbol of freedom. Jesus came to save sinners, and the way that he came to save sinners is to set them free. God came into the world to set you free. The gift of salvation brings with the gift of freedom. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, For freedom Christ sets us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Jesus himself says in John chapter 8, verse 36, For, the, for if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Jesus Christ came into the world to set you free, and not just partially free, not halfway free, but completely free. He did all the work to set you completely free. He has freed you from the penalty of sin, which is called justification. The penalty you rightly deserve is no longer yours. You were justified. It's a legal term. You were declared righteous, not because you are righteous, but because 
because of Christ's righteousness for you that you receive by faith. You are forever, forever declared righteous. You were justified, set free from the penalty of sin, but you were also set free from the power of sin. That's sanctification. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, progressively changing you, changing your affections, and giving you power to overcome the, the sin that's in your life. Jesus sets you free from the power of sin. If no longer your master, you can say no to sin. But then one day, whenever either Christ returns or he comes and takes you home, you will be set free from the presence of sin. That's called glorification. That is when, when in heaven, sin has no, it doesn't even exist anymore. It doesn't affect your mind. It doesn't affect your thoughts. It doesn't affect your body. It doesn't affect anything in relationships. Christ, finished work on the cross, sets you completely free. Brothers and sisters, I want you to hear me on this. If you are in Christ, you are free. I don't know if we, as Christians in America, actually think enough about this and take this seriously enough. You, brothers and sisters in Christ, if you belong to Jesus, you are, you are free. You are no longer a slave to sin. You are no longer condemned by your sin. You are free. Christ was born to die that you could go free. What an amazing grace. And if you've repented and believed in this moment, you are free forever. That's the best kind of present you could ever get at Christmas. And by the way, it's an expensive one too. You're free from the wrath of God. You're free from the bondage of sin. Right now, which means you are now free to walk in His holiness and obedience, and one day, forever and ever and ever, you will be completely free from the, the presence of sin. Never again for it to affect you in any possible way. Christmas is about freedom. But Christmas is also about adoption. Now we're kind of getting a little bit closer to things we think about because we think about family. But I don't think that we as Christians think enough about adoption. We talk a lot about justification and sanctification and glorification. We talk about a lot of those Asian things, Right? I don't think we talk enough about adoption. Christ came into the world not simply to set you free. He came into the world not simply so that you can live as a former enemy of God that he just simply tolerates. He came into the world so that you can be adopted into God's family. That you were an orphan and now adopted into his family. That you can be one of God's children. The Apostle John says this, The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But the old who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, and the will of man, but of God. Paul says he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. He predestined us. It was part of his plan from the very beginning in eternity past. It was his will. It was his, it was his plan. For in Christ Jesus, you were all sons of God through faith. Galatians 3.26. Romans 8.15 says, for, did you, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you had received the spirit of adoption as sons to whom we cry, Abba, 
father, or really, literally, daddy. Jesus coming into the world not only sets you free, but it brings you fully into the family of God. That you are welcomed back like the prodigal son. That he puts the robe and the ring on your finger and the shoes on your feet. And he kills the fatted calf to bring you into the family. Into this intimate relationship with God the Father that you were created for. Where you once were strangers. And once were the enemies of God with the wrath of God hanging over your head. You are now his children playing his feet. Your parents, you can begin to visualize this. You can see the love you have for your kids. Imagine that love multiplied times infinity, and that's the love that he has for you. You are now part of his family. Christmas is about adoption. But it's also about purpose. And I'll wrap up with this. As we talked about Christ came in the world, he came into the world, into the world for a reason, and that is to save sinners. But that's not all for us. Because he did not simply save you so you can live the rest of your life just simply satisfied being saved. He didn't save you for you. He didn't save you just simply so you could avoid hell. God saved you for a purpose. And that purpose is to glorify God in your life. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, very clearly. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. The faith is also a gift of God. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, his masterpiece, his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God already has a plan and a purpose for you. He saved you for a reason. He saved you for the good works he's prepared beforehand. He saved you so that you can join him on his mission to save his people. In fact, he commands it this much. But I don't even know why it should be a command because it should be a privilege that we get to join him in this life-saving mission. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all they commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He saved you so that you can go into the world and show others what Christmas is really about. So you can go to them and they're distorted caricatures of what Christmas is all about. Those people who, who think that Christmas is about them, that Christmas is about gifts, that Christmas is somehow about just taking some time off. You can go to them and say, let me show you the real portrait. Let me show you what the real picture is. It's about not simply a baby being born, but God himself came into the world to save his people from their sins and setting them free. Brothers and sisters, that's the clarion call for all of us, right? Let us not just be the hearers of this word, but let us be the doers as well. Let us absolutely go and eat the desserts and wrap and unwrap the presents 
Let us drive and visit our families. Let us decorate the tree. Let us hang lights. Anybody want to help? That'd be great, right? <laughs> let us do all those things for sure, but let us also go and show them the real picture of what Christmas really is. Let us go and share the hope of Christ because I'm telling you, I don't care what they get for Christmas, what they need, what they need is Jesus. You've been listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead, a production of First Baptist Church in Boron, California. Our website address is fbcboron.org. And would you please consider partnering with us financially as we work to share the hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world.